0: You're very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Darby. As you may know, I'm in the middle of an exploration on Dutch golf. Prior to commencing this odyssey, I had assumed that investigating the Dutch influence of the game of golf would be a fairly straightforward undertaking. Today's contributor, Robin Bergman, disabused me of this assumption during our first communication on the matter. In hindsight, he was absolutely correct to do so. Some of you may recall a heretical suggestion that the Dutch game of golf, spelt with either a C or indeed a K, is related to the Scottish game of golf. Fewer of you may be aware that the origin of this proposition was first posited... Dutch golf historian Stephen van Hengel in the early 1970s. Today's guest Robin Barkman is the natural successor to van Hengel. Robin's research on early golf has been lovingly published in a book entitled The Serendipity of Early Golf which was released in 2010. My plans for this subject matter have changed over the past few weeks as I've tried to formulate a format Simultaneously, does Robin the topic justice? The depth and breadth of Robin's insight and knowledge is extensive. As a result, I'm left with little alternative than to release our conversations pretty much in full, release as three separate podcasts over the coming weeks. We very much hope you enjoy the content. It certainly is, it certainly is. So look, I'm going to take my lead from you, Robin, really. Um, you are the expert in all of this. But as you rightly pointed out, if you, if you only have an hour, then maybe it might be, if you'd be willing to, uh, to schedule another chat, that would be, probably be useful. But yeah. uh, very much that I would like to look at how your work has built on Stephen Van Hengels and what that means in terms of the uh, influence that the Dutch had on the early days of golf in Scotland?
1: Sure. Well, the funny thing about the word Dutch uh, is that it's synonymous with the people living in the Netherlands uh-huh. and the Netherlands is basically synonymous with the old northern low countries and that's why you have the difference uh, actually since the fall of Antwerp you have the difference between the Dutch and the Flemish Uh and that's why I prefer actually in the history of the game of of golf in the Low countries uh, that it's more Netherlandish than Dutch and it's even more Flemish actually that makes it a bit complicated the word Dutch or or brings in a lot of confusion Uh, but we'll come across that anyway so what 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 uh, what would you like to know so that, that you you would talk about the Dutch influence on the on the uh, development of the game
0: yeah I, I suppose I mean it's interesting to reference both certainly as a starting point the golf editions of both the badminton and the Lonsdale libraries there's obviously clearly a an understanding with those two books that I have copies of that yeah. That there is some sort of interrelationship, but they do make the point that clearly golf is no more golf than cricket is poker, <laughs> which sort of jumped out at me.
1: Well, the the problem of that citation is is actually that uh, what uh, Hutchison is talking about there is the newer game of golf, and uh, Van Hengel brought uh, a a good good definition into uh, in. In this, for historians, and that's if we talk about the old game uh, of of Kolf, ma- and mainly played on ice in Holland, uh, that disappeared in 1672, and we write that with a C. And after that, a newer game of golf developed, and we write that with a K. Although in literature, you have in old text you see the C and the K in very old text it's only a C because in in in, in old and middle Dutch uh, you didn't have a K so the K only developed actually in in, in later rising and the newer game of calls that developed say after sixty seventy two. And that became the most popular game in the Netherlands in the 19th century. Um, and that's the game that uh, that's a short game played on a on a court of five meters by 15 meters with two poles, and which was really a contamination of a few games like bolo uh, uh, using a larger ball. And then Berger actually pushing the ball through a a a, a metal ring, uh, and the game of golf actually uh, using uh, the stick and hitting it with. And so, uh, if you look at that game and compare that to, say, Scottish golf, then then uh, Hutchison is completely accurate. But he should have actually compared it uh, to the older game of golf with golf with the sea, say the game played on ice before 1672, uh, and obviously because that was a dead game, didn't exist anymore. He couldn't compare it. The only way to compare it is actually by understanding the the, the early game of golf before 1672. Uh, which you can actually basically see being played uh, and illustrated in all these paintings of Dutch masters. So it's a matter of actually analyzing these paintings and and trying to understand how the game was played. Uh, And that's why, you know, people like David Hamilton, a good friend of mine, and say, the prime Scottish historian, uh, tries to point out uh, that the old game of golf played on ice and before that on land was a short game and it wasn't played towards a hole. But all the illustrations clearly show that there was a hole being played to. Actually, the player... Uh, went on his knees uh, to do the, the, the putting stroke. Uh, and in other illustrations, you see that he's got his, the golf club uh, in his neck before he's hitting. And that you wouldn't do that for a short stroke. So you can see from early illustrations that it was a long game. Uh, played towards a target and the target was a hole in the ground. Now, when it was played on ice in, in, the, in, in the Little Ice Age, uh, and especially in the northern low countries, so in Holland, uh, it was played uh, towards a pole uh, that the ball markers would take, uh, the ball markers are basically the same as caddies, would take with them, sometimes with an additional club because they only played with one club and if that broke you you needed a, a spare one and they had a, a you know uh, also additional balls in, in case you uh, split the ball and uh, the balls being played with, with were a and that's the translation of a feathery ball mm-hmm. or so a leather ball filled with hairs and leather and fe- uh, hairs and feathers sorry um so so you can see in the illustrations that that is a long game too played on ice uh and the hole was basically uh the distance that the ball marker would take take the pole with for the for the next uh, stage say yeah? so if If you would basically hold out the first hole basically pulled out the first pole or the first stretch he would then actually walk on another 200 yards for the next and then they would hit their ball towards uh, the ball marker standing and guarding that pole which is about say a yard high or a yard and a half Uh, and that he would stick in the ice. It's a wooden ball with a metal pin in the end, so you could stick that in the ice. Uh, so it, it, that game has a lot of similarities with the game of golf played in Scotland. And so if you try to analyze uh, and compare the two games, and starting from the back end, I meaning uh, going back in time, it, it can be very confusing. So my approach was different. I went as far back in time as possible and then uh, I took it from there going forward. So my analysis, and that's what the Scots have never done, actually. I've never found a Scottish book on the history of the game of golf, of their own game, they always get stuck in the discussion uh, that there uh, it it is a Scottish game uh, with with similarities to the Dutch game, but it was basically a game established or made by the Scots, uh, which I think is true, uh, at least in the way it's played. Uh, but they actually never given any proof of that um, so um, I tried to go back as early as I can in uh, describing the game of golf as we find it in in texts and literature and illustrations uh, illustrations are usually uh, these book of ours, uh, call it the early psalm books or Bible, uh, which were very important in the old days, and all handwritten, of course, because it, before the the days of the printing, uh, and maybe some other uh, written documents. Like edicts in towns whereby the game of golf was forbidden to be played in in the streets, which you also find in Scotland too. Um, so I I tried to find an early connection point between Scotland and the Low Countries, and I actually came and and this is not in my serendipity book, but this is actually the result of my participation in the research project of the University of St. Andrews in 2015, so it's not long ago. And the project was, and this was by, by the head of the, uh, the history faculty of the university, Professor Roger Mason. And he had a, a someone who provided the funding, who listened to the name Fleming, of course. Fleming mean, meaning someone from Flanders, uh, as you understand. Fleming is one of the most popular names in Scotland, isn't it? It's
0: amazing, isn't
1: it? And if I ask a Scotsman, uh, I said, what's this name Fleming? And they said, well, it's a very popular name in Scotland. I said, where does it come from? Would it mean that it's someone from Flanders? They say, ah, no, it's Scottish. They usually get that as a response. No, it's Scottish. I said, I know it's Scottish, but where does it come from? But anyway, so the project funded by Mr. Fleming and initiated and, and by Roger Mason was called Scotland and the Flemish People. Uh-huh. Um, and there were a number of contributors, and in two sixteen there was these, the, the the end conference, and I had a paper presented there. They gave me twenty minutes. They gave everyone twenty minutes, except if you were more academic. I was I was I think the only non historian or academic historian. I'm a lawyer by by training but anyway it was very kind of them and and, and Mason knew knew my serendipity book said uh, could we invite you to uh, participate in in this research project Scotland and the Flemish people and he said I know you know a lot about the history of golf as but what we do in academic research if you're trying to prove something you need basically uh Uh, three points that you prove. So if you can uh, demonstrate what you found in golf or what you think you found in golf and then compare that actually to other early Scottish games. So I introduced uh, uh, a a Scottish game at the same time to be part of this research project, which was Catchpill, Now, if I ask you whether you know what catch bell is, you probably don't know.
0: The answer to that is probably no, unless it's something to do with shinty. (laughs) No,
1: and the other, and the third third one was bombspiel. Uh Now, Scots people do know bombspiel Uh because that's the old name, say, the pre-war name for curling. All right, okay. Uh, And nowadays, the... Bombspiel is the name for curling played outside. And curling is the name of the game if it's played inside. Most of the curling is played uh, inside. So the word Bombspiel has kind of disappeared. But the 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 it used to be called curling Bombspiel. Okay. And curling has a... a Basically, it's to curl. uh, So... Uh, and and bonspiel—that's uh, uh, basically a Middle Dutch, or let's let's say in this connection a Flemish word—and catchpell is also Flemish. And old Scots, do you know the game real tennis?
0: Yes, the, at the in, uh, indoor uh, tennis that you can play it off uh, off the wooden sides and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the,
1: at the rooftops, yeah. Uh, but nowadays it's it's a game of the happy few, wasn't it? Huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so you see it at the University of Cambridge and, and places like that. MCC has a court, uh-huh. Queens has a court, two courts actually. I think there are only seventeen courts in in England. There used to be one next to uh trum. Okay. Uh, but, say, in the 16th, 17th century, in Edinburgh alone, there were 17 courts, okay. Dutch bell courts. And the game of tennis, so it's tennis, uh, uh that completely changed after 19, uh, 1874, I think it was, or 72, 1874, in, in the Belle Epoque period uh, when... Sports were made more accessible for the ordinary man, or, yeah, but wealthy, not the aristocrats only, and for women also especially. So Major Winfield, he invented the game, and he actually registered the game and sold it through Lily Whites, and that was called lawn tennis. And lawn tennis was played outside on the grass, and so you had two poles and a net and, and not paints. But so they had these white cords actually on the ground. And it used to be uh, like a, a, a sand clock. And then later they made them straight. So uh, from that point on, the old game of tennis is now called real tennis. Uh, uh, but that used to be the only game and it was of course the game of aristocrats it was basically the, it was called the game of kings and the king of games and in flemish it's called cards card spell and so scottish tennis historians know that that game in scotland was called catchbell in st uh, in portland palace do you know Falkland Palace? Falkland is thirteen miles from St Andrews, and that was actually the most popular palace of uh, of the Stuarts. That's where they would actually preferably reside, uh, and it was close to the the very important town of uh, St Andrews. There was the religious center and the oldest university, so it was very important, and they owned. Basically, the royal property where was everything, the woods and the links. That was all. But anyway, the game of kings and the the king of games is 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 tennis. Call it tennis or catchpell. So we have Bonspiel, catchpell, and golf. Golf is easier and you have this etymological or linguistic connection or research that you try to make, and then you go into the history and say what was the Flemish influence there or the Dutch language influence in these words and in the culture and it basically comes down to the period of King David I so I'm going back in time and this is an important uh, point I'm going back in time and David I he reigned say, between 1125 and 1150, say, the second quarter of the 12th century. Uh, And he was related to uh, William the Conqueror, and William the Conqueror was known uh, to, first of all, to take the English crown and to Normanize England. And you probably haven't heard of the word Normanization, but it's basically changing the uh, state system and culture into a Norman culture, and and uh, and he was Duke of Normandy, uh, but he was basically paid and funded by the Count or the Duke of Flanders, Baldwin the Fourth, and William the Conqueror was married to Matilda of Flanders, uh, the daughter of of. Uh, the Count of Flanders, and he was also regent for the King of France. He was he was the most powerful in those days. Fla- Flanders was the richest and most powerful nation in in, in the whole of, of Western Europe, by far. And he basically funded the uh, the uh, invasion or the, the 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 conquest of England, uh, but. Scotland was still an independent uh, kingdom and uh, William the Conqueror wanted actually also to basically take control of Scotland too. So you do that through family relationships. So when David the first became king of Scotland, he was very much influenced by the uh, by the English court, the Norman court. And he was good friends with Henry I. So he basically Normanized Scotland. And with him came a lot of Flemish knights and aristocrats because they were already there. Because in the Norman invasion of William the Conqueror, the whole fleet was funded by the Duke of Boulogne and, say, the Duke of Flanders. And he was the second in command of the invasion army. So he was his most important military guy, was uh, uh, was the Duke of Bouillon, of uh, uh, Boulogne. Uh, that's a uh, good golfing country. Um, and uh, after the conquest, uh, the feudal system was introduced. So all the old earls, English earls were basically cut off from power. By cutting off their heads uh, the ladies were allowed to stay so you, you did get a, a an assimilation of culture and the Anglo-Saxon language did survive uh, although with a lot of Norman call it French influence but also a lot of Dutch influence Flemish words and if you look at the Doomsday Book have you heard of the Doomsday Book? I have you have a thirty percent of the the names of the landowners. Well, they they they're not the landowners. The king owns. That's the feudal system. He owns everything, but he gives you actually a uh, land. Uh, in Dutch, we say in loan. Uh, so you you are in charge, but you're not the owner. Uh, the king always remains the owner, but 30% of, thirty percent of twenty thirty percent of the names in the Doomsday Book are Flemish origin, and a lot of those names reappear actually in King David first court. So when he established his court in in Edinburgh, there were quite a, quite some Flemish uh, knights and aristocrats actually to support him. And get get the job done of the normalization. So basically, you have to take out all the old stuff and introduce a, a new, modern ways. And his main uh, achievement was the establishing or establishment of fifteen new burgs in Scotland. You say bara bara. When I say a, a burg in Scotland, they say, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> but I always use it. Burg is we have them too in Middleburg, Donburg. Uh-huh. We've got loads of bergs. All all our cities along the coast are bergs. Uh-huh. But anyway, he established fifteen bergs. Uh, it's like the Hansa in 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 in, in uh, northern Western Europe, uh, basically. Uh, established and given royal privileges to uh, do the international trade, we would call it international trade, and that was for Scotland very important. Actually, to make its ne- next move and establish Scotland as a trading partner, and actually to the only reason is, of course, to develop a lot of income. Now, to found these. Fifteen burgs. You need specialists. You need merchants. You need uh, people who can run a city. Who basically also who run the church. So you see, actually, the first bishops were all Flemish, and and all the merchants were Flemish, Uh, and they brought with them, of course, their culture and language. And this is why in the early Scots language. And I have to say here, uh, Scots language doesn't exist anymore. So if people talk about Scots nowadays, that's basically English with a Scottish accent, but has nothing to do with uh, Scots or early Scots. Early Scots started, say, in 1150, and in 1350, you have the first written Scots language And in 1700, and this was the work of our King Billy, William III of Orange, who became King of England and Scotland. But he basically wanted to rule out the Jacobite influence, Uh, and by taking out the Jacobite influence, he basically say early Scots or Scots, the Scots language is forbidden. So in 1707, uh, this was with the union of England and Scotland, uh, the official union, where we we're still, basically, we still live in the in the uh, in the union, where you got the Union Jack and the crowns and everything. Uh, uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, basically, it was established that the language was English, and Scots was ruled out.
0: So, Robin, you're talking about Scots Gaelic there presumably, yeah? No, no, no,
1: no, no? Scots is uh, basically uh, actually the southeast of Scotland was invaded by Anglo-Saxons already, uh, coming from the south, they pushed out the Gales, the Gaels were their number one enemy uh or, or in reverse, uh, uh, the, the, the Anglo-Saxons, the Sassanacs were the number one enemy of, 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 the, of, of the Gales. Uh, and they established in the southeast of England, and also along the coast, and also in the, in the, in the north around Sutherland, uh, say, the lowlands cu- culture. Now, if I ask you, what does the word lowlands mean? What do you think if I'm talking about
0: Scotland? You would kind of help
1: think, probably. Are, are you the, describing the the geography?
0: The geography, yeah. But you're, you're at, what you're talking about is the people, presumably. I would imagine, yeah. yeah. So I, I would I would think border the, the borders being the Lowlands per se, but in a Scottish context, yeah, the, you're actually talking old, about the people. The,
1: yeah. The, the, the old pronunciation and spelling of Lowlands was Lowlands, Lallands. Uh-huh. Actually, the Scottish language history magazine is called Lallans L-A-L-L-A-N-S mm-hmm. George Burns was it uh, No, Robert Burns sorry George he basically reintroduced the word Lallans Poetry. but he, he was basically an English uh, writer and you know made it a bit Scottish <laughs> um, uh, but the uh, Lelands, if I tell you that so it's it's basically a, a demographic and a cultural denomination. It, it's not an administrative uh, so there's no border in Scotland saying this is lowlands and this is but there is a borderline in, 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 in demographic and cultural difference. So on this side of the border they basically speak Anglo-Saxon. Influenced by Anglo-Norman words. And Anglo-Norman, into, that includes Flemish. Because the Flemish were Anglo-Normans also. 30% of the Anglo-Normans were Flemish. So the word Lowlands, Lallands, if I tell you that the, the Dutch word is Laaglands, and I say that Bonspiel is spell and catch spell is Kaatspel. And golf and golf—they're all the same words. Uh, so, if you go to the old Scots dictionary, where you can still find actually the early Scots words, thirty uh, percent of the time you you see that the origin of the word is is Middle Dutch. That's the official language. So, so there's a huge. Influence actually in those days, and and but what Flemish and Dutch actually always do, within a generation, they they assimilate, and they they won't say I'm Flemish or I'm Dutch. You know, they're they basically said we're Scots, and it was the new Scots, sir. Huh? Don't forget. And interesting, if you go to, uh, you you were talking about the the the, the Gales, huh? the Highlanders, sir. Huh? they're called Highlanders because the you know the other guys were called Lowlanders so it has again nothing to do with this so you needed a, a, a contrast you see uh, and there's nothing low about the Lowlands to be honest well, well compared to the, the real Lowlands here Lowlands here is flat uh, and that's why it's called La Holanda or Lowlands here usually underwater but uh, if you go to the the, the, the Gael, Gaelic dictionary and, and look for the word lowlands in Gaelic, there is a word for lowlands, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, and say the Gael translation in English is not low countries. In Gaelic it says the land of the unfriendly people. (laughs) So you know who they mean. Yeah. And they were, basically the girls were kicked out.
0: Yeah.
1: And the girls actually, again, had a a bad time uh, under the, under the, uh, say, after this, the, the union and after the Jacobites uh rebellions and where they were minimized and the English started the clearings
0: you've heard about the clearings in the highlands oh uh, yeah well that, that would be similar to what uh, what they did over in Ireland with Cromwell I yeah imagine
1: yeah so all yeah. the Scots that you see actually living in in Canada America and Australia with started with a macro, MacDonald or Magnus and they're all Gales, and so they were all kicked out. Yeah. And there are very few Anglo-Saxon Scots names uh, around. They they were all around uh, the wealthy towns in the southeast. So, so the Gales, and actually the the game—that's what Scots golf historians uh, call an early stick and ball game, Shinty, yeah? Uh-huh. And they say that's, you know, basically golf was originally the Shinty game. Uh, I told you what the relationship between the Gales and the the lowlanders uh, is, so it's very unlikely that they would take a Gale game. Sure. And they would take a Flemish game. And, and the early stick and ball game of the Flemish was called colver. Uh-huh. I will talk about how that game was played actually in a uh, uh and they also had a game uh called shinny S C H Y N N I E, and i-e is always scots for a little huh mm-hmm. like we also have you say mm-hmm. lassie caddy bogie, mm-hmm. and then uh, bogey is something else sorry but anyway with the e at the end uh Sometimes Americans do it too, a uh, doggy, doggy bag. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but that's real sc- uh, Scottish. And so Shinny is also a name for a, a stick and ball game. And basically the predecessor in, in language and in, in game of, of Shinty. Because uh, if you go to the old Scots dictionary and look up Shinty, it will say derived from shinny okay now and then now you have to try to establish uh, where the word shinny came from now shin skin is it's actually quite simple it's it's basically uh, your under your your shin your shin bone
0: mm-hmm.
1: now they didn't play with shin bones but in, in Dutch uh, it, it was known or in Flemish Uh, that uh, the most vulnerable part of your body when playing the game of shinny was your shin bone Uh because it was allowed to hit the shin bone with your stick and basically take out your opponent that way. So they would wrap actually woolen skins and, and, and thick things around their shins. And I don't have proof of this but uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if one of the names of that stick and ball game was Shinny because they basically, and in Dutch we can see it too in, 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 in another document uh, where they're basically playing uh, playing golf and are, are hitting each other's uh, uh, legs and shins and legs. So, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Shinty, and if you go to any etymological um, dictionary, uh, it says it's vague. Could be... And if it's vague, the historians of sports or games, especially golf, they they'll say it has some Gaelic origin. Uh, which is qu- very unlikely because the Gales, were certainly not the friends, and Highland games never never made it to the Low, low Countries.
0: <laughs> it's interesting, uh, but 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 uh, you know what what you've outlined there though really is that there is definitely a uh, with the setting up of the burgs with the interrelationship between the Stuarts and the and the the House of Orange. Um, with the importation of balls from um, the Netherlands or the the, the uh, from from Flanders, um, and then well,
1: you have to be careful here, huh? yeah, because you're skipping a few centuries. Thank you, person. So I'm I'm still in eleven fifty, twelve fifty. Sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. sorry. Uh, after you, sorry, uh, I was, I was, I was time. But I'll I'll, I'll
1: I'll 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 make it easier for you. Yeah, the game of golf as we know today. Uh, basically developed around 1500 so you've got the period between 1150 and 1500 Uh which includes actually the date 1457 Uh which uh, the famous edict that you're not allowed to play golf uh, and that you have to basically that was
0: james the first wasn't it yeah yeah and, and, and he was, says he, uh, he, wanted, he wanted people to uh, devote more time to archery. Yeah, archery. And uh, you weren't
1: allowed to play on the Sundays and things like that. Huh? And that was because they were actually, there was a lot of war. This was the 100 year war against the English. Uh, so, And these are adolescents. Uh, they're, so between the 12 and 16 year olds, they basically play the rougher games and after 16 year you you're basically enlisted in the army huh <clears throat> um, and the original spelling of the word golf in in uh, there are a lot of spellings by the way about 16 golf golf and one of them uh, is the golfer g o l f e and that's Basically kind of the same as kolve in in Dutch yeah, with, uh, with an E at the end. So actually, if in old documents you see always not kolf but callver. And if it the game of callver is described uh Kolven, solen met en kolven in Dutch and solen is basically the same as in French choulet chou and choulet means playing ball choulet à la cross solen met en kolven is playing ball with a stick so the kolve is the stick and choulet, choulet is playing ball So uh, and playing ball is basically football and playing ball with a stick is, is called and the interesting thing is in the edict of that, that 1457 uh, edict it, the first one was actually that it, playing football was not allowed and then the second one in 1557 came and they said it football and golf is not allowed so they included golf and, the, and this is not the game of golf this is actually the game that was played throughout the early uh, uh, medieval times until, say, about 1500 in the whole of Northwestern Europe. And they still play it actually in Normandy. Uh, there's, uh, this choulet, choulet à la crosse, and solo. And this game is actually played between two groups of adolescents. Uh, with a stick or without a stick uh, if it's without a stick it's football if it's with a stick it's it's called golfer and you basically and there the are teams of about 20, 30, 40 doesn't matter and they still do it in Normandy by the way on certain days uh, it's basically fighting for the possession of the ball and you score a point if you get the ball into an area which is called the goal of, of the opponent. Uh, and it's rough. It's basically rugby with hockey sticks and, and no rules allowed. And they still play it, actually, in Ireland and in Scotland. But in Scotland, it's fairly mild. But I, I, I've watched the uh, the cup final in your country, yeah. in Kilmarnock, Nobody's on the streets during, on the cup final day of hurling. No. Everybody watches the hurling, but that's a pretty rough game, isn't it?
0: It's a pretty rough game. I mean, the skill, and, a, and, a, and a, nominally a, a, a still an amateur game, uh, but the skill set, I mean, it's a much yeah. more interesting game to watch than the, the football yeah. equivalent, the Gaelic football. Hurling, it's a physical game, but some of the skills are just so yeah. wonderful in terms of the high catch and yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, I'm using the word, I'm a left-hander and I play golf right-handed, but I I basically say I play right-handed, but I, I'm actually playing left-handed because watch all the ice hockey players and hurling players. I've got my hands this way, yeah? Yeah. And only the left-handers do it this way, and that's less than 20% of hurling players do it this way. The others are always this way. Correct. And they're yeah. All, yeah. So I checked with the coaches, yeah. and, and he said, no, they're, they're right-handed, but that's how right-handers play it. Yeah. They play. So what I'm doing, playing this way, yeah. is I'm playing left-handed. Okay.
0: That's
1: Correct. why I'm a good golfer, got a strong left. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to develop a strong left hand. yeah. But so this this game of hurling is closest to actually golf as as it was played uh, by the ordinary man and uh, i would say not the Royals. Royals had they played catch huh? tennis yeah. and in the courts uh, in the rest of Europe, they played uh, jeu de mai, a huh, the, the kind of golf-like game with the two poles in the long lane. You know that game, Paul
0: Funny that you mentioned hurling there. Yeah, I was speaking with Professor Paul Rouse, who's a professor of sports history in University yeah. of College Dublin, and he was telling me, in terms of the written text in an Irish context, that Gaelic games, or hurling, particularly has the assumed that every single stick and ball sport that's mentioned in Irish literary, in terms of written down history, is actually Hurling, but it may not be, and the chances are it probably isn't. No,
1: interesting. Yeah, I'm actually also assuming that hurling is originally Anglo-Norman in the, in the southwest of Scotland, uh, introduced by, say, the Anglo-Normans or okay. well, the Normans. Yeah, want to put it that way. Yeah, the similarity is is too big. Yeah, and why why would it be a Gaelic? game in ireland if it wasn't in Scotland.
0: yeah well i certainly know every year there is a there's a hurling versus shinty match which is kind of a a combination of of the two sets of rules yeah which i believe they do it every year or two so
1: yeah yeah well what you should do then as actually you're becoming a, a, a golf historian now is that you should should Give a televised interview and say what you're watching now is is basically the early game of golf uh-huh. and not a Gaelic game.
0: Really put the cat amongst the pigeons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. I I, 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 I don't have a lot of opponents
0: here. You, then we start to feel like uh, Mr. Van Hengel did, I suppose, back in the seventies. <laughs> we start yeah, making yeah, uh, yeah. Start making it.
1: Well, what I've done in my book I've basically told everyone that what Van Hengel said was a a load of rubbish Mm -hmm. he was my mentor but he 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 introduced uh, quite a few myths uh, which are which doesn't make it easy Uh, he lived too short I was actually there when he died I was working in New York Oh, well, I lived in New York, and uh, he invited me uh, to the Sunday at the British Open at Royal St George's uh, to the clubhouse of the R uh, of Royal St George's for the, the traditional luncheon meeting of the RNA, presided by the, the chairman. And he was allowed. He was an RNA member, and he was allowed to present his book, Early Golf, to the RNA. So that was his basically his ultimate uh, finest moment. You know, they recognised my book. Uh, He had obviously published the same work uh, uh, starting in seventy-two until eighty-two, but eighty-two was the first year of the official publication of early golf. So I arrived at the clubhouse. It was wasn't easy to get there because I didn't have a ticket for the Open. And I, I, I told them I'm invited for a luncheon in the clubhouse. I'm, I'm not going to buy a ticket <laughs> just to get into the clubhouse. Anyway, so they let me in. And I was inside and they said, well, good good that you're here, Robin. But where's Stephen? And he's not here yet. And these are uh, Scottish people. I was talk uh, there. There could be... Very Englisher, and huh? they uh, went to the good schools, of course. Lived all their life in in England, but they're Scots, you see. And um, I said, "Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I flew in from New York uh, this morning, and uh, I was hoping to see him here, and and uh, congratulate him with his 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 book." and well we did some research try to find where he was and uh, through a dutch family i know where he usually stayed we found his traditional bed and breakfast lady uh, at, at, you know a fairly large house there somewhere near seven oaks and she went up to, she said yeah we haven't seen him indeed and she, she checked actually his his bedroom and he was on his bed he was dead He died the the morning before he was to present his book. That's basically why I I took over his work. Well, I didn't really take over his work, but he had already interested me in, uh, in, in, in the early game of golf. And actually, what I'm trying to point out, using the title early golf is incorrect because you're presuming that the game of golf as it's played in Holland is the predecessor of the game of golf in Scotland. And where I'm going to is that the game of golf played in Scotland developed from a primitive game of golf uh, played in Scotland, as it was in all over Europe, and introduced, by the way, by Flemings during the normalization process and, and by King David the Davidian Revolution. Davidian Revolution is establishing all these 15 burgs and making Scotland into a modern state. And so, so golf, you know, we've talked about it, as a very primitive game was in, introduced there. Uh, and in the royal courts and also in the Stuart courts and don't forget uh, the the, uh, the the french courts were trying uh, with the catholic you know the, the catholic religion was very important actually in the uh, the whole basis for the uh, the jacobite rebellion was basically the catholic church or the opposition against the church but anyway the uh, uh there was a definite protocol amongst the royals all over Europe, what what would fit into protocol and what not, and protocol was, and, and we know that with Mary Stuart, for example, and she, as as a youngster she went to the French court. She didn't play golf there. She played jeu de May, Paul mall, and they don't know that in Scotland. Uh, but the courts in Say the Holyrood Palace, in, in the gardens of Holyrood Palace, a, a Paul Mall court was made for her to play uh Paul Mall and not to play golf. So that she they basically said she played golf and Paul Mall because they didn't know what Paul Mall was. But it was similar to golf, but there's no proof at all that she ever played golf. And she wouldn't actually, because that was outside protocol. And Within protocol, it's tennis, catch bell, and uh, jeu de pomme, as it's called, uh, and formal, jeu de maille. Those two games were allowed by royalty. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, golf in Scotland, I believe, and you, you can actually see that the first time in dictionary that golf balls and clubs are being ordered and, and paid for is by, by King James the Fourth. And he uh, he buys from the bone maker, he he, he he orders clubs to be made. Now, this is uh, 1500, 1501. Now, you should know that actually at the end of the uh, 15th century, the racket was introduced in tennis. And the balls had to change because of the racket. They became larger and heavier. And the old balls, say the the feathery balls that you played with your hand, uh, and you had a lot of ball makers, actually, especially in Europe, uh, in in Holland, indeed. And those balls were mostly used for, for tennis, for the handball game. And I you've got a lot of, it, but not for golf, that was still in development. And that was basically uh end of the 16th, 17th century uh, that those balls, and that's where you see uh, uh, that the balls coming from uh, the, uh, the Low Countries, from Berghop and uh, basically to protect. The, the 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 economy of the country and the outflow of capital that they say no more imports of balls and I I believe most of those balls were for catch bell and, and, and and not for golf but they were golf balls too same time but they were the same balls so that, uh, what I'm saying is that the the ball used for catch spell made a crossover to to golf. And that the stewards basically developed a game of golf as a royal game. So, it, it, golf didn't start as the game as we know it today, as a game played by the ordinary man. It started off as a royal game at the Stuart court around 1500 using the, the catch bell ball, using the tennis ball, which was also a royal game. And uh, Obviously, they were looking at the other stick and ball game played over all royal courts in Europe, and that was Paul Mall. And Paul Mall never actually really made it in Scotland, maybe because of of Queen Mary. That they said, you know, we want to get rid of all that. Uh, although this is earlier, I'm talking about earlier, but no, I'm, I'm wrong in the in the in my date. Sorry. Mary was later. Uh, so, so I'm talking about the period of James the Fourth, James Stuart the Fourth, at Falkland Palace, the oldest catch spell court. You would call it real tennis court. You should look at go to the website of, of Falkland Palace, and then go to the tennis court. That thing was built in. Uh, I think uh, uh, it was a, a, a new court. I'm actually a member there of, of the real tennis uh, catch catchpell at Falkland Palace. It's the oldest surviving catchpell court in the world. It's right next to St. Andrews. Nobody knows what catchpell is. I'm surprised actually that the and there's a it's a ten pound membership a year. I think Queens is a thousand. And uh, they had one of the guys has written a book there, but it's basically disappeared actually in the cracks of time in, of history.
0: So you reckon there's a linkage between Catchpell and, and Gough, well, the
1: Yeah. At, and at the royal court yeah. of, of, of the Stuarts. And after the introduction of the racket, which was, say, also around 1500, said the earliest, earliest, a friend of mine is a tennis historian. He's, and I wasn't allowed to use it for my latest book, but his earliest description and illustration of a racket is 1470. Okay. So before that,
0: just to clarify, they were using a feathery like ball playing real tennis.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a leather ball filled with hair and, uh, and feathers were introduced uh, later because that uh, um but You can imagine, actually, if you're hitting a ball with your hand, yeah. you, don't want a head, uh, you don't
0: want a heavy, hard ball, do you?
1: No. Because so you're going well, um, well, to...
0: Not, not in preference, anyway. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> and so... So it's that actually, they introduced gloves for the ladies. But, you know, if you're a real man, you play with bare hands. Mm-hmm. You're a sissy if you play with a glove. And then actually to protect the ladies, they invented the racket,
0: yeah.
1: you know, which was ash wood with a short handle, and so you like a ping pong uh, racket yeah. or bat. And it's, so it's a fairly, you know, it's a short thing. And the strings were. Uh, uh, do you know the word catgut? Yes. Tennis. Yes. Yeah. And and do you think that it's gut made of made
0: of cats? No. Yes, gut. No. <laughs> I don't know what, what it's made thing? of. But it's not made of catgut stuff. <laughs> <laughs> made, made. <laughs> and in
1: Dutch, it's called kaatsdoem. Okay. So the S disappeared actually in English or in Scots.
0: Yeah.
1: So if I. So if I ask you, uh, so what does cat gut mean? And if you introduce the word "s" back into the language, and etymologists agree fully agree, uh-huh. so it's cat's gut, and cat's is cats, yeah. cats is tennis. Yeah. So
0: it's
1: it's 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 gut. It's, it's actually a sheep gut, uh-huh. which you and used for the cat's racket. Okay. So that's why it's God's God. It's tennis, God.
0: Now, in terms of you using, just uh, explaining there, a a game played with the hand, there's a third Gaelic game over here, which is handball. Okay, so you've got Gaelic football, you've hurling, but you've also got handball. Which Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I'm I'm just hypothesizing this, but the interrelationship between all these bloody games is, is, you know, if you go far enough back, there's a root somewhere.
1: Sure. Well, well, but say the the cultural difference between the original inhabitants, being the Celts, the Gaels, yeah, and the invaders, yeah, say the Anglo Saxons and and later the Anglo Normans, yeah, they they basically didn't they never assimilated yeah. well in the last two hundred years. In uh, it's very unlikely that. Uh, so if you say there's a handball game in Ireland, uh, which it's the same as in Scotland, uh, that you'd call it uh, 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 Scots. Uh, the kilt, the kilts wore, worn by the Scots nowadays, is an invention uh, 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 after the visit of, of, of uh, uh, George the Fourth. Okay, uh, and. And, and uh, say the hundred years—it it was the first visit of a royal in 250 years to Scotland. And uh, what's his name, Sir so Walter Scott, basically did the whole thing. And the clearings of, you know, let's forget about it. And 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 and, 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 and the disaster of Flodden, where we killed all the, uh, let's forget all. We're friends. I'm king of Scots too, and I'm here. And he presented himself in Scotland. And Walter Scott came up with all these stories. <laughs> uh, I've got a good book for you: "The Invented Traditions." Okay, and that's a scientific book, by the way. But anyway, so he presented himself in in Edinburgh in a kilt. Okay, so he was standing there, and uh, and he said, "I'm a Scot." And basically, what he was doing as a sassenach, uh, the, the the real Scots call the uh, the Lowland Assassin acts. He was basically saying, "I'm a Sassanac, but I'm actually a, a Gael. I'm a Scot." And that's when actually all these Robert Burns traditions and Walter Scott, and then you know the Haggis. Uh, so all the Scots are now united under this. But it's uh, it's it's basically turned into a, an, an Anglo-Saxon nation. The number of people speaking Gael—they're coming back. Actually, actually, and the number of people speak uh, still speaking Scots uh eh, the, the, the lowlands, so you basically got first the, the Gales Gaels who kicked out, and and then actually the the the, the early Scots were kicked out eh, The uh, the call it the uh, the the, the Anglo Norman Anglo Saxon combination, and and now it's all Anglo Saxon. And so uh, the I have a hard time sometimes with David Hamilton. Uh, I said you should be more Scots than a, a Scotsman, but he's basically Anglo-Saxon. This 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 project at the University of St Andrews, uh, Scotland, and uh, and and the Flemish people. He was invited actually to in, in that research project. Because it was in St. Andrews, and they said, you know, you, the the golf Valhalla of the world is here in St. Andrews. Do you want to participate as a golf historian, as the number one golf hist- And he said, no, I'm not interested. We, we don't want to know.
0: At <laughs> <laughs> con- a convenience, eh?
1: Uh, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I uh, – I was invited, but actually it should have been David, although I I know more about it. And and I I said, David, this should be actually uh, uh, a first move on your end, actually, to really uh, investigate the early game of golf in Scotland and and forget about the Dutch. I mean... uh, Uh, you know, I'm Dutch from, say, the Northern Netherlands, and there was actually in the 17th century, of course there was a close relationship, and we played our our game, but our game was influenced by the the Flemish, but, you know, the game in Scotland was much more influenced by the Flemish, and much earlier, uh, say, 300 years earlier, and in Scotland, (coughs) in Scotland, the game of golf was... Developed by the by the Stuart court and played on the probably on the links of of Scotland because that was of of St Andrews because that was uh, uh, close to Falkland Palace where they resided, and in Edinburgh uh, you had all these uh, the seventeen later on uh, these catchpool courts. So so golf as as a royal game really developed uh, there, and as I said. Uh, you should easily be able to, to research it. But, and there, there's, there are actually quite a lot of early Scots documents. But the, the problem is, is uh, say, the Scottish Anglo-Saxons, which is 99.9% of the population, uh, at least of the Anglo-Saxon population, uh, nobody actually speaks or understands uh, early Scots. If you take a, a, a poem of Dalrymple, there eh? a famous Scottish poet, uh, 14th century. So he wrote in, in early Scots. Um, I bet you a good bottle of wine that you wouldn't be able to understand it. And so, all these old documents in Scotland—they're written in early Scots. There's no one to research them. The people who can easiest research them—and there are actually some researchers at the University of Ghent in Belgium—they say we, we can read it because it's it's closer to say Middle Dutch. I, I have a problem with reading early Dutch, but I thirty percent I I can't. Follow, and I've been reading through some early Scots documents, but you really have to study it. So, so there's about sixty percent I don't, I don't know, I can't follow. And sixty percent is a lot, but there sh- there have to be documents there because it's as I'm saying, it's it's developed as a royal game, and documents. Uh, uh, it, uh, of the steward courts by the treasurer, whatever. That's why we know that King James the IV ordered uh, clubs and balls. It's still there. The treasury documents. So there, there there has to be, in literature, there has to be quite a lot in early Scots about catch and golf and bombspiel. I know about bombspiel. The curling people, they said there may be a Flemish connection, but we, you know... And then there's Sir Walter Scott, he says, no, no, it's Scottish. And I said, so where does, in Dutch it's called bollenspel, eh, bollenspel. And in Scottish it's Bombspiel. Mm.
0: Cultural appropriation. So k- catchpel, uh-huh.
1: in Dutch is katspel. <clears throat> so it's not Chinese being compared to uh, Canadian. And, you know, it's it's all close by and if you look at the ties yeah, yeah. um, language actually assimilates yeah. and uh, to get an assimilation of language uh, say the immigration of say 1% of your population that you won't get assimilation from that if you want to have language assimilated in another language you need a, a large portion of, of a population and and the numbers are 25 30% in the Burgs, the bars sorry
0: i have to go no problem can we uh, can we reconvene because we we we've only got it, it's it's been fascinating rob it's uh, it's yeah it's yeah really but I, I, I
1: thought we might but so i've reached the point actually so that you could take it from there that that golf in scotland started in 1500 And golf in in Holland started in 1600.
0: Many thanks for tuning in. As usual, you can find us online at firmandfast.golf or on Twitter at FirmandFastGolf. Please continue to like, subscribe and comment. It really is appreciated. Until the next time, happy golfing.